Hey chachachos, welcome to Wait Long by the River. This is a really special show for all sorts of reasons. The main one being that it was co-hosted with the Melbourne Folk Club. So it was held at Bella Union in their grand hall. Union pennants flying from the rafters in all colours. A couple of hundred people packed into this beautiful wooden ballroom. It was certainly one of the highest highs of our show so far. Our guest was LA-based singer-songwriter Geordie Lane, one of Melbourne's most successful folk exports. We caught him while he was back in the country oh so briefly and talked to him about the move, what success looks like, how to say the word water in like a hundred different American languages, finding a voice and our usual thing of uh, what keeps you going. Unfortunately, the episode's special for another reason. A problem with recording in a new venue left us with sound quality that is less than perfect. It's okay, it just sounds more like an ABC radio live special event and less like our usual surprisingly polished audio wonderland. It didn't help that squads of bikies intermittently were roaring past the window of the venue as well. The good news is we got a clean, beautiful recording of Geordie's set and I've dropped a couple of the songs in there for you. The other good news is, it was a fantastic show. If you're listening to this right off the starting block, Geordie's playing the Top in Town this Saturday and Sunday, the 18th and 19th of April, before he heads back to the US of A. If you're not, A, what's it like in the future? Is it cool? And B, download all his music, it's perfect. Anyway, that's enough talking from me. Thanks for downloading Wait Long Weather River. Here's the show. It's a fantastic interviewer. I'm sure we'll get to hear some great stories between him and Jordy. So if you want to give them a warm welcome, that'd be awesome. Thanks, Ray. Hi. Hi. How you all doing? That's a good start. We haven't done anything yet, and maybe 10% of you are really keyed up. How you doing? Uh, good. It's slightly on edge. That's I've never, never walked on a stage in this scenario. Yeah, without a guitar to hide behind. Yeah. I know, it's terrifying. I mean, it's great and comfortable and you've got nothing to worry about. Okay. Uh, so, you guys, I don't think. Since it's almost the one year anniversary of the Melbourne Folk Club, I think that's coming up next week or something. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. It started last April. And the very first show you played. Yeah. Yeah. So, is that, do you have some special in on Melbourne Folk Club? Are you like part of the, the scene that it sprung from? I would like to just think that, you know, I, my music is of a, of a good standard. And, Correct. Um, and that they, they enjoy that. Um, that's all I'll say. Yeah. Yeah, I can vouch for that. <laughs> that's great. Um, by way of introduction, uh, I'm an interviewing guy and I interview people all the time. And today, I get to talk to Geordie Lane. Do you guys all know who Geordie Lane is? <laughs> who doesn't know who Geordie Lane is? It's okay, you don't need to. One, two, Rhonda. three, off. Good on you, mate. All right, great. Well, look, you're gonna find out way more about Geordie Lane than you ever expected to tonight. But to start with. <laughs> I might as well, yeah. You're a folk impresario guitar talent. Are you from Melbourne? Yes, yeah, from Thornbury. Thornbury? Thornbred? Yep. That's a hip area now. Yeah, it's, it's got that way. Yeah. Was it you when you were growing up? No. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, there was like, uh, most of the shops were very transient. Like, uh, it would crop up as a, as a new hip bar or something. And then a week later, there'd be 
last month's newspapers all up on the windows, you couldn't see anything anymore. And, and so it's a constant, there, there is still a few of those, but uh, you know, possible little shady little under the table businesses going on. And, and now it's just straightforward hipster cafes. Places that will last, places that have business plans. Maybe, I don't know if stylistically these are, uh, we call them like, the word minimalist, you know, uh, fine, special, Scandinavian uh, cycle oh, yeah. timber with uh, some rustic, um, rust, industrial, minimalist, industrial hipster cafe look. That, that might only last five, ten more years. Uh, but before you criticise it, you've got to remember that, like, this is the home turf of that style. Like, if you <laughs> criticise that, it's like going to England and criticising the, the royalty. I know, I know. That's <laughs> all we've got. Yeah. Are you looking out for that in here? I think we'll know. Yeah, look, uh, that beautiful like um, uh, paint. Column. Yeah, the column. There's a bit of paint come off there. It looks really cool and old. I've heard they call the Brunswick finish. I don't know if that's a real thing or not. <laughs> Someone pointed that out to me when I first moved. So I mean, you must have tourist eyes because you've just got back from the US. So everything looks fresh and new to you, right? Yeah. What did What did you call it? Tourist, tourist eyes. You know, oh, when, tourist eyes. Yeah, I like a French size, like an exercise. You do tourist size, don't you? You're looking toned. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you very much. I know, uh, I bought these jeans in Sardinia, um, mm -hmm. and I don't know how I fit into them when I bought them, and then, and then I went through a period of not being able to fit into them, but I, I, got, I got back to being able to get them on for tonight's event. I think um, the, the idea with skinny jeans is they cost so much that then you can't afford to eat, and then you can fit into them. We are going to cheap deal in Sardinia. Um, but yes, tourist eyes, like I got off the plane. It was like, basically we did this gig last April, went back to the US and Canada and UK and didn't come back until last week. So it was like full on culture shock. Dad picked us up from Tullamarine and we're like driving back and there's uh, all the like, weatherboard houses. There's um, little terrace houses and you don't see any of that in Los Angeles at nothing like it. So I was like almost getting a little bit teary about, about the architecture of, of a crappy weatherboard house. But, um, but it was that and then, you know, we took a turn and some cut somebody off and they just, you know, straight out the window. Hi, brother! And I'm like, that is nice. You know, That's when you broke down. In LA, it's like, oh man, wait, oh, it's okay. <laughs> Following your dream. So, yeah. I thought LA was the exception to the rule there. I thought the people were nice in the US unless you're in the middle of LA when it was like, you'll be killed. Well, the driving is crazy, nobody indicates, it's all insane, but it's kind of just everyone's going with that flow. Okay, they're so. all working together. There's not as much, because in Melbourne, you've got really calm, slow drivers, and then you've got really aggressive, hardcore drivers, and then you've got people who drive slow, but are just aggressive in their vocal nature. And slow down. So we've got to all band together, I think, as a city, and get on the same vibe. Wow. Maybe. Watch our next election, we're going to have Geordie Lane on the Everyone Drive as a Team together. We are at Trades Hall, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's just a motorists union, isn't it? Is that what Ricky Muir's doing? I got no idea. That's right, fair enough. <laughs> so, you said you fell in love with Hollywood, at least in a song. I know that songs aren't always the place to go looking for truth. Truth? <laughs> but is that true? I mean, are you, are you an addict now? Are you just here as a visitor? 
or are you going to stick around? No, I mean, I will be going back to the US straight after this tour. We're here till April 29, I think. Um, but yeah, that love is definitely still there and strong for Hollywood and LA as a whole. It's so weird, like for anyone who's been to America and been to Los Angeles, it's, it's not the epitome of like, whoa, there's a hot city that I want to look at. Um, it's kind of, but it just, it just got me like straight away. It was weird. It was just a combination of meeting very cool people who put me in a cool situation, and um, and it was very close proximity to Joshua Tree, which was a place that I wanted to go. And a beautiful natural park. Yeah, and uh, so, and I do that all the time. It's within two hours, so that, um, yeah. Just stop there. <laughs> hey, ramble on. We got all sorts of time. Uh, I mean, I, I come from Canberra, and I know when people visit Canberra, I always say it's just about falling in with the right people. Everywhere it's about finding the right people. I mean, is it a folk crowd in LA, or are you the one weird folkie? <laughs> no, there's a million weird folkies and weird circus freaks and weird film screenwriters and people who claim to be doing all of those. They're working the on the screenplay while they're figuring out their TV's act. Yep. yep. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I fell in love with the most because uh, it is so diverse and weird and strange that if you're not going to accept that people are weird and different, then you're not going to get along with that place, you know? it's. I would say LA is the most non-hipstery place. It's, I don't know. People are just cool by being, looking like Larry David. Something. <laughs> so I mean, you know, he, he wears stonewashed jeans and running shoes with a tucked in golf shirt or whatever. And a lot of cool people there dress like that. And you wouldn't think that's cool to me not. It's 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 definitely not about the skinny jeans or the brand of your boot. So it's a people watch paradise. Yeah. I remember I heard you say something on the lines of you make it sound like the songs are about you, but a lot of the time you're you're scouting out people's lives to, to capture. Do you reckon that's true or is that by I reckon that's kind of half true. I think it's when I want it to be that, I say that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time, the songs are just about me and I just don't want to sound so self-involved. <laughs> well, there's nothing self-involved about uh, sitting in front of a bunch of people and talking about yourself. <laughs> I'm so glad that people are here for this part because I saw on the internet that it had a start time for each like mm-hmm. interview then music and I just had this slight thought not nothing against you people are not going to want to because you do so many gigs the whole first half of five years of my career were playing in pubs where people were like oh mate you might stop talking just play the bloody song. <laughs> and so that's what I thought might happen, but I'm so glad that you do want to hear us Yeah. Hey. 
doing the American accent and like, having a aficionado. So what we're saying is we're not criticizing America, we're criticizing tourists. Tourists, yes, and she's probably a tourist and now it just came out. Nine years, nine years, all right. Nine years later. No, it's just a strange thing. You're just trying to fit into the new place you are and, um, you know, you have to learn how to say water in the correct way, which is many different ways in America, um, which I won't go into, but, um, that, yeah, that's the big one. Water, 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 water. Water, water, water. Yeah, like the East Coast. Water, water, water. What's that one? That's water, water, water. No, no, I can't do it. I can't do the New York one. That's hey, water. Hey, I need a water. Water. I need a water. <laughs> Sorry, this is like a really bad. Can I get any water? This is not as good as that Steve Coogan and what's the other guy's name? They do the trip and they just just the whole time they try and take off Michael Caine. Oh, I see. <laughs> she was, she was really shit. <laughs> now, <laughs> them, can you do one? I don't know who we're representing. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Oh, Batman. Master Bruce, I think if you go out there again, you're going to get killed. Master Bruce. No, if you're not going to. Oh, sorry, sir. Sorry, Master. No, that's probably one of his other characters. What are we doing? They're paid like a lot of money. How do you. Where did the impersonating thing come from? That's what the music thing is too. Like that, I writing my own songs is desperately just trying to get away from impersonating other people. So like when I first heard Bob Dylan, all I did was try and sound like Bob Dylan. Brian <laughs> Adams. Yep. That was the worst because he's like a contemporary artist, and then all of a sudden, every one of my songs that I'm doing sounds like him. So I think writing songs is. Trying to just find yourself. I'm getting serious now. That's right. It is a yeah, selfish self exploration for you to work your shit out. And um, and then sometimes this is probably um, other people tell you that it helped them work something out too. Which that is then when you get that thing where they like pop stars who. It's all about the fans. You are why I do it, what make me do it, and I'm like, that's bullshit. I would never just do it for them. <laughs> but then you realize sometimes when you're feeling crap about yourself and someone comes up after a gig and actually is deeply moved or it's helping in some way, it's like, really, you're like, okay, it's not just about me and I do need to actually take it seriously. So four albums in, three albums in, three on an EP, and I think um, for ten years in. Yeah. Can we say that? How long have you been playing? Let's yeah, no, I um, actually it, I was ten years old when I got my first six-string guitar, and when I started a band. Straight away. Yep. Well, about two or three months later, a kid from another school moved to my school and said, "I'm going to be a rock and roll star." You want to be one too. <laughs> Join my cult. And uh, I don't really remember saying this, but my mum told me that I did 
didn't, I actually said, what is a rock and roll star? I didn't know what it was. And this is a very important moment. Who did she show you a picture of? I mean, did you get a record out or did she? No. Could no, she show you Bowie? This could be very different conversation. No, I don't know. We never had the conversation. <laughs> At every stage of a child's life, my parents sit them down and say, rock and roll. That's not what it is. Because yeah. um, that does involve birds and bees as well, I guess. Um, Lucky you. Uh, you never got me any birds and bees. Well, I must say, that is what my friend told me. He said, you're going to be a rock and roll star, you're going to get chicks. I'm like, wow, that's great, because already at 10 years old, we're writing, you know, fully formed love songs about, like, marriage and, and sticking it out and all that kind of stuff. And so we went in this kind of reverse order into actually, you know, having our first kiss with a girl and going through all these silly debacles. But, um, so you didn't go straight to mum and say, mum, what are chicks? What are chicks? <laughs> You're already on top of that, too. That's good to hear. Yep. So what? So okay. And you're, let's say, 22. Now? <laughs> no, I don't know. 28. Um, I'm 30. Oh, congrats. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 20 years. Do you reckon you found your voice? Do you reckon you've got your, or an approximation oh, of it, or you still yeah. feel like an impersonator? Yes. Um. No, I think I definitely my voice is always changing, but I, think I have found a voice. Yeah. Cool. And it's. Yeah, it's pretty... It was like, when I was... When my voice finally broke after those first few bands... Because um, at first, it, yeah, it was just, yeah, crazy high. And the other the other guy's voice had, uh, you know, he was only 10, but it felt like it had broken. And he was just super cool and knew what he was doing. And I was tagging along. And then, um, yeah, I tried to... I want to sound like Springsteen, you know. Just really, yeah. and I was really hurting myself. Pretend you're somewhere filled with smog, like an inferno, um, where it's destroying your throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Los Angeles is pretty good for that. Pretty rough. Um, but and we live in a place called Pasadena, which is like beautiful. It's kind of like Brisbane Hills or something. There's eucalyptus trees everywhere. But unfortunately, there's like something like the San uh, San Gabriel winds suck everything from the city right through Pasadena out to the desert. So we just, every day we just get the <laughs> fumes. But we don't see it, so... So it can't be hurting. You can't see them when they're right there. So if, so if LA is a cigarette, you're the filter. Yeah. And it's all getting sh- cool. <laughs> in a gross But yeah. So, I, yeah, I think I've got a voice and I'm... You know, but songwriting style, that is changing like every day, depending on what I'm talking to somebody. You know, we just started writing a song backstage about how you can um, kill yourself um, with, um, if you test the zing on a nine volt battery. Um, that yeah, you said it's a similar milliampage or whatever to your heart, and there's a slight chance you could uh, shock your heart into arrest. Wow. Yeah. That's great. So we started writing a song about that, and Brett, the soundman, who told me that. And he said he's not sure if that is true. But... So I take whatever inspiration I can get. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you Do you reckon, because I, I know that early on, I don't know whether you got attention from or you chased down, somehow you revolved with Jeff Lane, who was a real luminary. Yeah. Do you reckon that... 
you reckon that really influenced your style, or do you reckon you noticed you because you were in his ballpark? No, um, that was an interesting thing. I saw him and his wife, Ali, on the weekend at Port Ferry, and um, lucky enough to get him to jump up on a song. Um, and then I saw um, Pat Fitz and Cara Robinson, and they told me, oh yeah, he just bloody jumped up on our stage, didn't even know he was gonna play. Absolute uh, guess, guess guitar slut. <laughs> but, um, Anyway, kind of we, we asked him to jump up and sing, uh, play a beautiful song with us and uh, we were thinking about how we met and um, uh, what happened was Ali, his wife, saw me playing a song at the local bar, the Bender Bar, which is now the Thornbury Local mm. and uh, she loved it and I saw she played fiddle and I was doing a demo of a song that I'd just written and I said, can you come over to my friend's place and record the demo? And she said, yeah, cool. And, um, that was a song of mine, which then became a song I played at every show called I Could Die Looking At You. And she went home, played it to Jeff, and Jeff just started showing up at my gigs all the time. And he's, and he's like, hey mate, if you ever need a hand putting an album together or something. And, um, and then I put an application into the uh, Vic Arts to do an album, and um, it's actually meant to be with him as the Roots producer, and then the co-producer was meant to be Wally Tobacco, Gautier. But just when we were about to record, he just went bang and was everywhere around the world. So, um, but Jeff stayed on and produced my first album, and yeah, I think his guitar style especially just, you know, pushed through to me without me knowing. So did that give you? Did that give you a lot of confidence as a young? Songwriter that, that someone was tying up at your gigs? No, I was just like, oh, there's a creepy guy <laughs> sound desk again. You can't even get up on stage. Uh, yeah. Um, no, it was awesome. You know, he was obviously, you know, won a bunch of arias and very well known, and um, so I was very excited by that. And uh, But, you know, you always try to stay grounded or whatever and not get too, you know, hey. Jeff Lang's my friend now. Um, I mean, it's no, I was just, I, but, but I, I just had the time. Yeah, you just. I ask you guys to turn your phones off. Whoever has that as a ringtone, um, Yes, I, I don't know what I was saying, but uh, no, at the time, it's just like, there's this great musician, a person who's been doing it a lot longer than me, who was willing to help me, and yeah, became friends with the record. What do you reckon about the celebrity now? I mean, you're a bit older and wiser. Do you reckon that they're, do you reckon it deserves the place that it's got in culture? Do you reckon people should really be obsessing about, about names? Like, should, should it be a point of conversation that I bring up Jeff Lang when we could be talking about? No, because um, I don't think, I don't think of Jeff Lang or myself or you as celebrities, if, if that's okay to say. Well, two three. You know, it's, uh, you know, he's been a pivotal part of my career um, and uh, in shaping what I do. So um, I think it's an important thing to talk about, but celebrities, yeah, I mean, we're living in Hollywood, so it's insane. What and But the crazy thing is, I'm there looking at, you know, 
Kim Kardashian on Instagram once in a while. <laughs> and why? Why am I doing that? Um, yeah. What's the allure? I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess people have aspirations to be rich and they think uh, wealth comes with fame, which is not always true. Uh, what else? I, I don't know. I guess they get to think that they're hanging with important people and we all want to feel important and appreciated. And I guess if you get five million views on your video or your photo, uh, if you're one of us looking at Kim Kardashian's photo and see she has that, you go, oh wow, so many people took the time to like that photo. I wish people liked me that much. Mm. So maybe that's why we all love that stardom thing because we all just want to be loved on Instagram <laughs> mainly that's my favourite that's my preferred uh, platform in the digital market because do you want to plug your Instagram handle is that yeah it? well I changed it I was with a band in America and they're like um, I am going to do an American accent now I'm going to try uh, Pennsylvania Pennsylvania Dutch kind of like uh, and then they're like you already you really need to have uh, the same tag on all your accounts so that if people tag one, it'll go all of them. And that was a revelation to me. So, because my Instagram was just Geordie Lane, now it's Geordie Lane Music, as is all of the others. But I just like taking photos. I like the challenge of, that's why I actually like it, because I like the challenge of taking a good photo on an iPhone. As a kid, you really had a thing for photography, didn't you? Yeah, love like. It. Were you love? Was it was it already digital back then, or were you dealing with like crazy chemicals in a dark room for hours at a time? Crazy chemical? Like, they make you sound old now. Yeah, uh, crazy chemicals in a dark room, and that was the best bit about it because like, you know, high school was good. Like, I found music quite early, and my buddies, you know, we were there from day one in high school playing music together. But we were kind of the odd bunch out and I wanted to be on the football team. And I tried several times, but I ended up just being water boy or orange boy. And I always fucked that up, so. Um, <laughs> how do you, wait, how do you fuck up being water boy? I don't, well, you forget to fill it up. <laughs> Having some time, or you like run onto the field and you run into one of them and get in their way. Or, um, you know, so I had a bit of a, you know, a sorry uh, time as uh, a sportsman at school. I just really wanted to be. Um, so anyway, I just, like, took, when I wasn't playing music, I just took to the dark room because I could get away from everyone. And photography was, like, a great metaphor for being able to manipulate the image to exactly how you want to see it or how you want others to see it. So it's a really awesome trick. Like I saw a photographer, Ansel Adams, and his thing that he didn't have the use of color photography. So he used the whole spectrum from the whitest of white to the blackest of black, all the way through with this zone system thing. And so his black and white photos look like they could actually be color because there's so many tones. And then that's what I wanted to do with music. Like, I'm like, I want everything to be better than real life, I guess. I want to 
you know, I want the guitar to sound like a bass, uh, up high, and so yeah, having that full spectrum of sound is the same as that full spectrum of colour or tones in a photo. It's, sorry, this is getting a bit too convoluted, but, but I really love that, like, taking a photo the way you see it and then manipulating the darkroom into it and something else. And plus, like, the school bullies and stuff like that could not get into the darkroom because it was locked. Yeah, special kid. <laughs> yeah, it was the same. And dark. Yeah. It was, it was a good, great place to be. And I haven't done any darkroom uh, real film photography since I finished high school. But um, one of these days, yes. you're going to be selling your coffee table book as, as merch and you're going to be lugging around like 10 kilos of coffee table stuff. Before we got up here, he showed me a little trick with one of my songs, like how to change it to a relative minor. I'm like, what the hell? You want a percentage of this song now? And um, so no, 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 just free advice. Um, and then the coffee table book. That's I was, I was thinking of that. It's a fantastic idea. I'm happy to help. Do you want a percentage of that? Too? No, I'm not in this for the money. How can you possibly be in this career for the money? It's not, it's not a real thing. Here we go. This is called Lost in You.
So you're in high school, and you're desperately trying to find popularity, because we're all on that train at that age. Yep. Uh, and then you get it. I mean, here in Melbourne, you've got this crowd of people who are fervent supporters of you, except for the two people who didn't know you, but they will be by the end of the night. <laughs> we know. And, and, and so you've got that. You've got this crowd of people who love you and adore you. And then you're always trying to, what's the line in the song about you're always trying to go somewhere where nobody knows your name? Oh, yeah, that's the feet fall one. Yeah, um, yeah, that's about being in the subway in New York and, and salute nobody and 10 million people knowing me. Yeah, right. That was awesome. So what, that was right, that's awesome. Why is that awesome? Why are you seeking that out after spending uh, 15 years trying to trying to get this together and then you get it? And next thing you know, you're like, yep, I'm in Australia, so 17 days a year, catch me so if you can. I wasn't, that's not what I was seeking out while I was getting my career going in. Melbourne. I wasn't trying to build um, a fan base or you know enough people to like my photo. I was trying to get better at songwriting, write more songs, get better at singing, get better at performing on stage and telling jokes. And but then yeah, pay the bills solely like 100% for music. That was always my goal. Like in a sort of tradesman thing. I'm going to try and get really good at doing my job, but I'm also going to try and get good at making people pay me more sometimes. <laughs> oh my god. That's where the phone book comes in. Yep, we're just, uh, there's actually a little more of an issue with your oven. Um, we need to replace the, uh, yeah. Cover it. So that's what I started doing with, that's what I started doing with gigs. I'd, I'd be like, uh, sorry, I can't do the gig that night because um, the pub down the road has offered me a gig and they're giving me like 200 bucks. And they're like, oh, really? Oh, fuck. Oh, mate, yeah. You know what? Yeah, we'll, we'll give you 250. And all right, you start a bidding war. That's like, that's cool as ice. I don't know how many times I did that in my mind. It was like, I got amazing at it and I was doing it all the time, but I think that is a glorified, like, idea about my 
business skills that I have. I think it probably happened, you know, once or a little less than once or something like that. Call it 50%, that still sounds like yeah. you've got it half the time, not, not half the once. But it was a, a, a definite aspiration for me to make money from playing music if I could. Because I didn't want to wash dishes anymore. I was like, my hands were getting all cut up. I had contact dermatitis mm -hmm. from the uh, chemicals and the parmesan cheese that I had to shave. Uh, I didn't directly shave the parmesan cheese onto people's meals, but yeah, if you ever ate in Fairfield Station Street, um, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <clears throat> I stopped washing dishes and I managed to do music. I mean, I lived at home for a long time, but um, to answer that question about going away, it is such a freeing experience to go traveling because uh, you're surrounded by all new things that attack your senses in a different way, new colors, new smells, um, new sounds, everything. So. And you can also just reinvent yourself, you know, you could be in a bar and do any accent and no one will catch you out and say, Joey, you don't talk like that. Well, you can. Every time I try and do an accent, it comes out as like an Indian Scotsman. <laughs> <laughs> but you seem to have a gift for that. Well, maybe that's what they think you are. Maybe. Yeah. Look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you, I mean, do you play with that? You go to America all the time and travel around a lot. Do you, do you change the town? Oh, you the accent. Alien? The accent. Oh, not no. just the accent. Like, do you try and... No, I don't. I don't. But I think what it was, I get into town, you know everybody. Um, you do feel just a little bit weighed down by, like, all of your own physical baggage that you've been collecting over the years, all of your emotional baggage, all of your friends' physical and emotional baggage, and then you just feel really weighed down after a while and you have to try and do something else and uh, yeah so it's just a natural thing to want to explore the rest of the world like that's you know it sounds cliche but I read Jack Kerouac's On the Road and that was probably only the third or fourth book I ever read in my life and I've only read two since that um, Bob Dylan's Chronicles and uh, all that happened at number 26 by my mum. <laughs> so, you I don't read much, but um, yeah, I, I, now I'm, I've lost my train of thought. But Well, that's great because you were talking about travel and having a language, and I'm curious how, you're, how, you, how you physically handle it. I mean, you've got how many shows here in Australia? 27? Something in this like whole run? How many shows yeah. have you played ever? Uh, Do you know that number? Yeah, I was like trying to work it out the other day. I think it's just sort of under like 2,500, so 2,500 maybe. So that's intense. Wow, 2,500, if you call it 2,500 hours worth of, like that's like, that's like heaps of days of <laughs> playing yeah. all in a row. That's yeah. awesome. So how do you keep up the, how's your gig fitness? Like, do you feel it after 27? Not if we're like taking care of ourselves, but the thing about like temperature changes, time zone changes, dietary changes. I sound, but it, it's like I'm getting better at learning what 
makes me good and what makes me bad. So, like, you know, I'll only be having one glass of wine tonight, or two. There's um, only a small glass, and no red. No red, no, uh, red wine makes my lips lumpy. Everybody said it's the extra histamines. Yeah, it's a classic thing, lumpy lips. <laughs> I mean, well, some people, I mean, you know, back in Hollywood are striving for lumpy lips. Um, have to pay a lot more than a bottle of wine. But you mentioned like emotional baggage because of bottles of wine. I mean, do you, is it hard to, is it hard to hold down, I mean, not a real life, you've got a real life, but like, a, do you feel that you're getting to that age where you start feeling the desire to like, have those permanent facets in your life, like, not settling down? Yeah. But, um, yes and no. Like, I, I don't think I'm anywhere near wanting to just stay in one city all day, every day, for the whole year. Like, I think the travelling thing's always going to happen, like, you know, even with, like, having a family, if the little ones are up for it, well, they won't really have a choice, but... You come from a showbiz family, you know what that's like, right? Yeah, like, um, you know, I, Probably just in case my parents are here, travelling circus is probably also, this is a slight exaggeration, but we were, they were in a theatre troupe and uh, when we were young, I don't know if it was between the age of zero and three, there was quite a lot of travelling like all around Australia with mum and dad and watching them both dress in the other sexes' clothes. Um, <laughs> Mum is a sleazy uh, cabaret singer in a tuxedo, and Dad is a police woman in a marching band. <laughs> so that probably definitely affected my uh, <laughs> thoughts about who I was. <laughs> That's good. I mean, that makes you a tolerant guy, right? Like that makes you a person who isn't surprised by anything that's happening. Just I guess. So oh, yeah, yeah. The thing what the irony about the travelling thing is as soon as we started kindergarten to the end of high school, I basically, well, you know, we went on holidays and things, but I'd never been out of Australia and I was basically in Thornbury from the age of four to 18, mm -hmm. non-stop. Didn't even, step left, uh, lived in the same house that whole time. So then when I finished school, I was like, all right, you gotta stop being a wuss and get out of here. Yeah, and you did it. Yeah, Good slowly idea. at first. Now you're out there. Yep. Well, look, we're coming to the end of our time, but I want to know if that's where you came from. Where Where do you reckon you're going now? What's What's on the horizon? Ooh. Do you feel like you're you're in a state of change right now, or do you reckon you hit a good hit, yeah. like peak joy in years? No, I was reading one of those like articles about you know seven year cycles, and then someone saying no. It's nine-year cycles and um, so somehow this Facebook post made me think that I'm definitely in a state of change right now. Very good. Um, Did you read just the bit that came up on the wall? Did you actually get into it? No, I got right into the whole article. Yeah, I was nice. like up all night and then sleeping <laughs> all day. Um, that's something I want to try and work on in my life. I, I made a resolution on the internet so that I would try and not break it. And one of the things was get up before midday every day. Nice. But it's then I put a little point either straight after that or later down that said, if you 
don't get up before midday, don't be angry at yourself for the rest of the day. Oh, come on. So have, you know, some sort of acceptance and, you know, don't beat yourself up for what you are, I guess. So I think I'm definitely learning that because I'm still constantly wanting to better myself and be something different, something that I'm not. So maybe the, I mean, I've been getting up before midday every day on this tour, I'll tell you that. Um, Thank you. Um, uh, It is an emotional thing. Like that first album, Sleeping Patterns, that was all about not being able to get out of bed. Um, But anyway, I think musically, that's why I've been taking so long to write my next album. It's, I haven't done a studio one since 2011. I've done a couple of different records since then, but I'm really just trying to find the right instrumentation and the type of songs that I want to do next that will be quite different, but I'm just still not totally there yet. And you're going to test some of them out on us tonight, aren't you? Yeah. Will you guys be kind? Yeah. I, yeah. Well, you got five people being kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody like, just play a bloody good song that you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, I'm really looking forward to that, man. Thanks. Thanks you for coming up here and talking to me. I really appreciate it. This could be a terrifying thing. Instead, you nailed it. No, it's really good, and it was because of your shirt. I don't know if anyone was here a year ago. Um, I wore a brand new shirt that I uh, bought the day before. And it was exactly that, but a corduroy version. Which you can't you can't tell that might be corduroy, but No, I'd be sweating to death. And he said he done his research so well, he knew that I wore that shirt, but he knew I wouldn't dare wear it again to the same venue. So he was safe to wear that one. So, what I thought it is. so thank you, James, for your extremely fine-tuned research. If you have any unanswered questions, thank you. If you have any unanswered questions, just shout them out in those Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. That's Wetland by the River for this month. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, check out our live interviews with Darren Hanlon and Skyscraper Stan. I reckon they'd be up your alley. I know Geordie said Instagram's the best, but look up Wait Long by the River on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date. And maybe we'll start posting photos that look nice with filters. I don't know. Hang around for some secret stuff and come to one of our live shows at Some Velvet Morning in Clifton Hill. I'll post them up on Facebook when they're coming up. See you later. But then, I mean, you smell funny? Does that then... No, I mean, black and white... <laughs> yeah, the chemicals, not general. Yeah, because it does, it has a kind of sulfury sort of smell, so yeah, people do think. Or is it, I mean, the, the podcasting interviewer show, that is real. So, what changed? Do you reckon your bands got better, or do you reckon the people were willing to wait? <laughs> Yeah.